few weeks ago, I shared a story about being on a boat in the middle of the Amazon at night, and we were coming back from a village, and we were headed back to our riverboat, and we were counting all the eyes of the Cayman that we saw there in the river, hoping that we weren't going to get stuck uh, on a sandbar. Well, today, I want to share with you what led up to that moment. So that morning, we were on that little boat. We left our boat that we sleep on and eat on and headed to this village, and we were spending the morning in the village. And people, a part of our team was doing sort of backyard Bible clubs with children, and some of us were kind of going throughout the village and sharing. And as I was going throughout the village that morning, I saw some people working on a building that looked like a church building. Uh, And so uh, that caught my attention. And so I went over to where they were and began talking with the people that were there in this building. And uh, they, you know, welcomed me inside. And as I'm inside this building, I'm seeing they had painted a lot of murals on the wall. and, And there was a lot of words and things like this. And I'm looking at all of it. And I can tell, like, there's... There's Bible in it, you know, but just something seems off. You know, I'm looking at the pictures and trying to understand it. I don't speak the language, but it just doesn't seem right. Uh, And so I have my interpreter, and I'm asking them questions about, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, And as I'm piecing it all together, I realize that this is a cult, okay, that that's part of this village here. Uh, that had taken some parts of, of the Bible, some parts of Revelation especially, and had twisted all these things. And evidently, years ago in the past, there were some uh, missionaries from this cult that had come through this village and had established this, this work there. Uh, and basically, the, the leader of this cult, who was from the United States, had uh, many years earlier said that he had received a vision from an angel uh, that he was uh, to be uh, in the spirit of Elijah, the forerunner that would announce the second coming of Jesus. This was who he was. Uh, and that he was going around and, and doing all these things. And, and so I, I didn't quite know what to do with all this, right? Because the, the entire village was part of this, this little congregation. And so they had invited us back that night to have a worship service there. So all afternoon, while we had gone back to our boat, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to say, what am I going to preach uh, in this village tonight? Because this is probably the only time that they're ever going to hear the gospel, uh, and this is an opportunity to, you know, to sort of confront this cult. But I'll be honest with you, I was terrified of, of this opportunity that God had put in front of us. In fact, we were so kind of concerned about it, that the girls that were on our team, we asked them to stay on the boat that night. They didn't go back with us to the village because we didn't know what was going to happen. And, and so, you know, we went uh, to, back to the village that night, and I get up, and, and I start to preach, and I preached from the passage that we're going to study this morning from the book of Galatians chapter 1. And in this chapter 1 of Galatians, Paul says, if we... Or an angel from heaven were to give you a different gospel, that they are to be cursed. That's what he says here in Galatians chapter 1. And so I knew that I was going to read this to them and basically head on confront this cult leader who had said that he had received an angel's 
uh, revelation that he was the one that was going to be this forerunner to Christ and announce the second coming and all these sort of things, and that it's probably not going to go over well. Okay, so I get up and and I I'm preaching and sharing, and as I began to share these things, and it got to about this point where I told them that you know this they needed to be cursed if they were going to preach a different gospel. All, it was like I had kicked a hornet's nest all of a sudden. I see all these people in the back uh, that were just scurrying back and forth. And all, all the leaders of this village are going back and forth. And they, they were running around and they all went over here into this house. And I could hear loud voices and loud noises that were going on in this house. And I'm just like, okay, this is how it ends. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm just sitting there preaching and sharing and I give an invitation at the end, and as you can imagine, not a soul moved a muscle. I mean, it was like I said, freeze and freeze tag. They all just stood like this, kind of like it is in our churches sometimes. Okay, but anyway, so they're all sitting there just frozen. They, none of them would publicly come forward in a situation like this. I mean, they were just scared to death of how their village would perceive them. And so I do the invitation, all of a sudden, the leader of the village, the president of the village, comes up and essentially says, thanks for being here, but don't ever come back here again, right? And they kicked us out of the village. And on our way out of the village, there was this lady who owned a a store, and she invited us in. She gave us all a a Coke, and she told us, I believe in what you said tonight, Uh, but I can't nobody in our village believes this they can't they don't they don't know this and so so at least there's this one mustard seed that we pray would grow into a great plant right in this village uh, that this one woman would be able to share but as I was there in this in this village we saw clearly that there was a different gospel there was a different message that these people had been blinded by the by the evil one that they had been deceived and today as we begin a new 16-part sermon series through the letter to the Galatians this called no other gospel my prayer as we go through this is that we would really hone in on the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would love it and live it and proclaim it and know it in our hearts so that we wouldn't be led astray like some of these others have been. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask that you'd stand in honor of God's word. If you're able, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The word of God says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. 
As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. For am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Thank you. You may be seated today. As we uh, study this first part of Galatians, I want us to get really clear on the gospel, gospel clarity. So the first thing that we see in this passage this morning is a clear explanation of the gospel. Verse 1, Paul says, I am Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is just right out of the gates for Paul. He doesn't waste time with formalities or with niceties here at the beginning of this letter. No, there's a situation that is too grave that he's wanting to address. And so right out of the gates, he jumps right into the gospel. And this is the message of the gospel, that Jesus was raised from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the crux of the gospel. It is the foundation of our Christian faith. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. And so Paul lays everything about our faith on this event, on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. As Christians, we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. So we're not ashamed of the fact that the Son of God died and rose again, and we are not afraid to say it and to believe it and to proclaim it. Paul says to this church, I am an apostle, a sent one. I'm not sent by men, but I'm sent by the risen Lord himself, whom he met on the road to Damascus. He says, I am an ambassador of this gospel, This message that Jesus was raised from the dead as the hope of the world. That he's not dead, that he is alive and he holds the keys of death and of hell. And we believe this to be true. And we trust in it with our life and with our very futures. Paul from the very beginning says this is about Jesus being raised from the dead. He goes on in verse 4 to say about Jesus the one who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And so he says about Jesus that he gave himself for our sins, that he offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. Now theologians call this doctrine substitutionary atonement. That's a big word that basically means that Jesus subbed in for us. He stood in our place. Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
that Jesus, who was innocent, who did not know sin, became sin. He became like us so that we uh, might become righteous like him. This atonement was necessary to save all of us. Through his sacrifice, he says he rescued us from this present evil age. We weren't capable of doing this because we're sinful. Any offering that we would bring would be tainted because we're sinners. He says this is the perfect plan of our Father. It's it's according to the will of our God and Father. It was only the perfect sacrifice of the sinless Son that could stand and pay the price for what we've done. And so Paul's introduction to this letter completely dismisses the notion of working for our salvation. From the very outset of the letter, he says this is about Jesus who was raised from the dead, who stood in our place to die for our sins according to the will and plan of our Father. It is by the very grace of God It is nothing that you and I are bringing to the table. He says it's not this works-based salvation, which is the belief that that you must do certain things or, or not do certain things or do enough good things in order to earn or merit our salvation. Paul here says that the gospel proclaims that we are saved by God's grace and not by our works. Now, although people who are familiar with Christianity would dismiss works-based salvation, it often creeps back into our thinking sometimes. For example, when we think, I'm not good enough for God to love me, or when we think, I'm too messed up for God to want to do anything with me, then you don't understand how grace works. Or, on the other end of the spectrum, if you say, well, I'm better than most people are, you look around, you go, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have it all together, but I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good, then you don't understand how grace works. Grace is unmerited favor. It is, it is undeserved love from the Lord. There's nothing that we do to deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. God loves you, period. Whether you don't think he should, he loves you. Whether you do think he should, he still loves you anyway, even though you're wrong. And that was a problem that Paul was addressing with this particular church in Galatia and in that region. There was a group called the Judaizers who had come up to these new churches and basically were telling them that in order to be a Christian, yes, you got to believe in Jesus to save you from your sin, but you also need to keep the law, you need to but the thing that they kept harping on was they needed to be circumcised. They needed to basically become like Jews in order to be a Christian. And this was a problem in the first century New Testament church. If you turn to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, this is the problem that they're addressing. In Acts chapter 15 and verse 1, 
It says, some men came down from Judea, began to teach the brothers. Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So they're saying, listen, it's, it's all great that you believe in Jesus, but you also, in addition to that, you also have to be circumcised to be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, the elders. They reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you're aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way that they are. He says to them, we can't put this on them. This is extra gospel. This is outside of the gospel. They are saved by grace through faith just like we are. So what is the message here? What is the gospel? It's that God created man to have a relationship with him. And that that relationship was broken by the sin of Adam and Eve. And that sin separates us from God. And there's nothing that we can do to solve our sin problem. But God so loved the world that he sent his very own son to come and to save us from our sin. The Bible says that he was born of a virgin and that he lived a life without any sin. And he offered himself in our place as a substitute for us. He died on the cross because the penalty for our sin is death. But God raised him up on the third day. And he is the risen Savior and Lord. And he offers each of us salvation as a gracious gift from God. And by placing our faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sins. We can be made righteous and our relationship with God can be restored. We can be adopted into the family of God and spend eternity with him in heaven. That's the gospel. And if that message sounds familiar to you, then that's a good thing. Because that means that we're clearly explaining the gospel to you over and over and over again. You see, my job as a preacher is not to stand up here every Sunday and to say something clever or something unique or something original. My job is to proclaim to you the same old story over and over again in a way that you'll understand it. Charles Hodge said that the gospel is so simple that small children can understand it, but it's so profound that studies by the wisest theologians will never exhaust its riches. This is the message that I hope that you hear 
every single week as you come into this place. This good news that Jesus loves us and died for us so that we can have a relationship with him. We have to be clear with our explanation of the gospel. The second thing that we see in this passage is that there is a clear authority here. In verses 6 and 7, this is where Paul really starts to dig in with these churches. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So the word that's translated here as, as turning is the Greek word metatitheme, and it carries the idea of transferring your allegiance. This is a word that was used to describe a soldier who would go fight for the other side or a politician who all of a sudden would transfer to the other party. This is, this is what this word means. And so it, it would kind of be like, one of you born and, born and brainwashed here in Knoxville, Tennessee, to all of a sudden trade in all of your orange Tennessee shirts and started wearing one of my crimson Alabama shirts, right? You wouldn't do that, would you? Doesn't matter how many national championships we win, you don't want one of my shirts, right? Do you? And right now, I mean, you thinking about even putting on that shirt is, is turning your stomach a little bit on the inside, isn't it? I mean, you, just, you don't want anything to do with it. And that's exactly how Paul feels about these people who had received the gospel and are now believing in this distorted gospel. That they would turn from the gospel to these other teachings. David Platt writes that the Galatians had to come to Christ and put on the robes of righteousness... And now they're trying to turn back to the trash can to retrieve their old clothes of works-based religion. They were turning away from the gospel and, and turning for a cheap imitation instead. And it wasn't just that they were turning away from the, the gospel as if they were just moving away from a set of ideas or set of facts. Paul says that they were turning away from him who called you. Did you catch that? He says, I'm so amazed that you have so quickly turned away from the one who called you. So he says that to, to turn away from the gospel is to turn away from God himself. That the gospel is God's good news. That this is his story. He's the authority here, not us. And so to reject the gospel is to reject God. In fact, Paul continues and he, he begins to point to different sources that they might find as, as reputable or as authoritative in their lives in verses 8 and 9. He says, but even if we or even if an angel from heaven should come and preach to you a gospel that's contrary to what we have preached to you, then a curse be on him. As we've said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. He's saying to this church, listen, I know that we, that we brought the gospel to you originally, but even if we came back and told you something different, don't believe us, Believe the gospel. 
He says, even if an angel from heaven came and told you something different, don't believe him, believe the gospel. He says, you can't alter it, you can't improve upon it, you can't subtract from it, you can't add to it. George Whitfield, who was a revival preacher in the First Great Awakening, said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. That's because there is but one gospel to proclaim. And as the church, we have to be able to discern between the true gospel and counterfeits. You may have heard this before, but the federal agents, when they're teaching people how, their, their agents how to, uh, how to discern or tell the difference between true uh, you know, currency and and counterfeit currency, the way that they train them to do that is to really, really, really study what true currency looks like. And they know all the little intricacies about where this is supposed to be and what, what it feels like and, and, and what the back looks like and, and, and how, you know, all the different parts of what makes a dollar bill a dollar bill or a hundred dollar bill a hundred dollar bill. They, they know it so well that if they see anything that's just slightly different, you know, buzzers go off in their brain. They realize that this is not the real thing. The problem is that a lot of times we don't recognize the fakes. In fact, what statistics would show is that kingdom halls of Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormon Church of Latter-day Saints are filled with former Southern Baptists who couldn't spot a different gospel. But if we know the gospel of Jesus Christ so well by believing it and living it and sharing it and studying it and rejoicing in it, then we'll spot a cheap imitation from a mile away. Now, it's easy for us to spot a cult in the Amazon. We can say, that's, that's the false gospel. But it's much more difficult for us sometimes to spot some of the ones in our own culture. The ones that people around us are buying into. For those who would trust in doing more good things than bad things. Or for those who believe, well, I'm a Christian because my parents are Christians. I've heard that so many times. Uh, For those who would say, well, I'm a Christian because... You know, I, I, I used to go to church when I was a kid. I've heard that from many people. For those who would say, well, you know, I believe in God, or, or the one I used to hear all the time in the South is, I know the man upstairs, you know. And I'm like, if you call him the man upstairs, I got a feeling you don't know him. For those who would say, well, you in order to really be a Christian, you have to to belong to a certain political party. Or for those who would say, well, in in order to go to to heaven, I I, I can go to heaven because I help out other people. I'm I'm, I'm good to other people. For those who would believe that I'm going to go to heaven because, you know, I'm, I'm just a good, I have good southern morals, how we train our kids to be. Dean and Sarah, in this book, The Unsaved Christian, writes, In the South, image matters here. 
being seen as a Christian can be more important than actually being a Christian. They want enough of Christ to be identified with them, but not enough to be seriously inconvenienced. We have to recognize these blind spots in our own culture and be able to say, that's not the gospel. (laughs) Paul goes on in verse 10, he says, am I now trying to persuade people or God? Am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul basically says, do you still think I'm just trying to tickle your ears? As many of you would say, Paul's beginning to step on some toes at this moment. And when you're really clear about the gospel, people will take offense because the gospel is a stumbling block. Preaching Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, the Bible says. But this good news confronts us in our sin, but then offers us grace and redemption if we'll receive it. You see, Paul wasn't confronting this church because he wanted to be a jerk. He was confronting them because the gospel is that important. If we get the gospel wrong, it's not good news at all. You see, a false gospel never saved anyone. But all who call the name of the Lord will be saved. And Paul didn't have to answer to them about his preaching. He had to answer to God. Because the ultimate authority in our lives is God. The ultimate authority in your life is God. One day you're going to have to stand before God, as every single one of us will, and you're going to have to give an account of your life to him. And on that day, This gospel will really matter. Whether or not you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins will really matter. It won't matter if your parents were Christians. It won't matter if you went to church when you were a kid. It won't matter if you did more good things than bad things. It won't matter who you voted for. It won't matter if you were a good southern gentleman if you've never placed your faith in the gracious gift of God to save you. And so we have to be clear on the gospel. So this morning, Christians, sometimes we can get caught up in all sorts of things, and we can take things that are good things and elevate them to the level of most important thing. Listen, it's a blessing to have Christian parents. It's a blessing in my life. It's a good thing to go to church. It's a good thing to help people. It's a good thing to vote. But these aren't prerequisites for salvation. And so as we go forward with our mission to reach this place in this time and this culture, we have to focus on the gospel and be really clear about the gospel because only the gospel will save the lost. So we need to commit this morning to be clear on the gospel. So maybe you want to spend some time this morning at your seat, here at this altar, in prayer, saying, God, I want to commit to this gospel, to live it and to proclaim it. Because only this good news can save people.
There may be some here today who as you realize in your heart that you need to believe in this gospel. As we outlined it earlier, what this message is, that God loved us and sent his son to save us from our sins, that he died in our place and was raised from the dead so that we could have life, that we could have forgiveness, that we could have salvation, we could have a future with him. Today you realize that that's a gift that you need to receive in your heart. And the good news is that it's a gift that you can receive by grace through faith this morning. That you're not going to have to jump through hoops. That you're not going to have to do certain things. Today you must simply repent of your sin and trust in him. That's something that each of you can do today. Each of you that are watching online can do today. And so in a minute, we're going to have a time of response. There's going to be leaders here at the front. If that's the decision you want to make, then I want to encourage you to come and to share with one of us to say, I want to be saved today. I want to trust in Jesus today. I want to be forgiven of my sins today. I want you to come as we begin to sing. Maybe you're watching online. I want you to pick up your cell phone again. Text this word, decide, to the number 865-234-3241. That'll let us know that this is a decision that you want to make in your heart today. And we can follow up with you and talk with you about what it means to follow after Jesus. There might be some this morning that God is calling to become part of this church family. This might be the first time you've been here. Maybe you've been here for a year or more and visiting. And God's saying, this is the place where I want you to plant your life, the place where I want you to serve, the place where I want you to to share this gospel. Then you come as the Lord leads you during this time. But however God is speaking to your heart today, now let's be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. God, thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Lord, it really is good news when we understand our sin. When we understand that there was nothing that we could do to erase it. But God, you sent your own son, Jesus, to do what we couldn't do to stand in our place, to save us, to offer forgiveness and life unto us. Lord, this is really good news. And so, God, I pray that as Christians, Lord, we would celebrate this, that we would be really clear about this, and that we would be faithful to share it with our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members, people that we interact with. Lord, that we would see a revival of sharing the good news of the gospel in our city. God, for those who need to make this decision in their own hearts today, pray that they would come. They wouldn't wait. They wouldn't put it off. Lord, that they would come running to you today. So God, move during this time. We ask it in Jesus' name.